0: The Veritas Radio Network is guaranteed the right to offend, annoy, agitate, shout heresy, and entertain. You should start programming right now. Kind of like the cultural sewage served up on Bravo or CMT, only it's on 24 hours a day, except Sundays. When the truth gets you angry and you throw your smartphone, remember, no one is forcing you to listen to the truth on the Veritas Radio Network. You can't handle the truth. You're doing that of your own free will. That's what makes this country great, and any gay marriage pointless.
1: That's offensive! So
0: there isn't much you can do about it, Chotterhead. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Grab a book, take a vow, and conform your mind to reality. Yeah, reality. Otherwise, you're just another Judas-inspired Karl Marx wannabe, and your children will steal your credit card number to buy tickets to the Miley Cyrus Twerkers Ball. I came in like a wrecking ball! Are you ready? Let's get it on! on the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. And welcome to the Philosophia Podentius live classroom and chat room Here on the Crusade Channel, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers Wednesday, 16 August 2017 We will be learning about the intricate details and discussing them on uh, DeHominay Lectures number 19, and if we have time, get to 20. And we'll be joined in just a moment by Brother Andre Marie from the St. Benedict Center in uh, Richmond, New Hampshire. If you are listening to this on the free stream or on the premium stream, you can always join the chat room yourself on my website at mikechurch.com, and then you're going to want to click the Catholicism tab and then Philosophy of Perennis and then uh, scroll on down to the Dahomany homepage and that's where you'll see the link for the chat room. And we've uh, we've had a, r- a rough couple of weeks here. One week we had a, a poor connection with Brother Andre. Last week uh, I was unable to, to uh, talk actually so we had to scrap last week so uh, hopefully we have a nice connection tonight, and hopefully I will be actually be able to talk, and uh, we'll be able to get to, uh, get through this and learn a little something. So let's go to the Saint Benedict Center and bring in Brother Andre Marie, who is standing by. Good evening, Mike. Well, good evening, brother. It uh, feels like ages since we have talked. Yes, it's been too long. <laughs> Well, I hope that the Indian days of summer are treating you well.
1: Uh, they are, yes. We're gearing up for the beginning of the new school year, um, which is always a time for 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 mourning and penance and such. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: but uh, things are going well. So, uh, does school year begin in August or in September? Uh, yeah, late August, the the, the twenty the twenty
1: eighth is our first day.
0: And for those of you who don't know that uh, Brother Andre uh, keeps a, a very busy schedule and somehow manages to squeeze the uh, Hominay and Philosophia Panetta's classes in uh, to all the other things that he is responsible for and has to do up at the St. At the Benedict Center. Our brother's uh, website is Catholicism.org, and the website for the radio show Reconquest is Reconquest.net. He's hiding in plain sight in, on the Twitter, at Brother Andre, and on Facebook, Brother Andre Marie. Now, uh, Brother, when we, you and I had talked about uh, lectures number 19 to 20, uh, gosh, it seemed like a month ago, uh, I had listened, I thought I had listened to 19, and uh, that it was a bit uh, short. Uh, and I listened to it again tonight, and uh, Brother Francis went to about 38 minutes <laughs> um, and then uh, w- went into the uh, discussion on the psalm. I think it was Psalm 80 that they were going dis- to discuss. And I uh, made it through about 15 minutes of lecture number 20 tonight. You, uh, do you want to start with 19 with the intent of trying to get to 20, or do you, you want to just do well, all 19? I think
1: we can start on 19. Yeah, we, we can try. I, 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 when you ta- told me about ganging them up into one, I hadn't yet heard heard it. And then when I went through it, uh and prepared my the notes and everything. I'm looking at it and thinking, what was Mike talking about? He's acting like 19 was all short. But it was pretty involved. And it was pretty packed. No, so, it,
0: it, it, it was. So we could just concentrate on 19 tonight. That's fine.
1: Okay, so, well, let's just see how, how it goes. Okay. Um, Brother Francis had written up on the board something in English for uh, 19. He, he didn't have it in Latin. He, so he threw it up in English. And it it uh, it goes like this. It's from the Summa Contra Gentiles. Uh So that if we consider the matter rightly, we shall see all human occupations appear to serve those who contemplate the truth. Now, this is something that we would have talked about, although we didn't have this quote at our at our fingertips um, when we were considering it in the in the uh, psychology course and in and in the ethics course as well, really in the ethics course, um, talking about the, the our outlook on what constitutes happiness. And just to review very quickly, following the tradition of Aristotle, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas held that man's, ma, ma, man does well, uh, he lives ethically when he pursues his happiness, but, he pursue, but, but when he pursues his happiness, um, that is his true happiness, not some false happiness that, that could be found in the gratification of the senses in some illicit way. So man uh, is acting well when he's pursuing his true happiness, and this is known as a eudaimonistic ethics. Uh, it, it comes from the Greek word meaning something like happy happy spirit. Um and it, 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 it implies a, 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 a spiritual kind of interior happiness that comes to you um, from, from uh, in Aristotle's view, it would be from contemplation. So Aristotle also held that man's happiness ultimately consists in contemplation. That, that, that is what man finds his purpose in. So both St. Thomas and Aristotle agree on that point um and aristotle would even go so far as to say that contemplating god um would 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 lead to that happiness as well so it wasn't just any kind of contemplation now he he would get shaky on exactly who god is <laughs> um but he was a monotheist unlike unlike many of the, of his greek contemporaries so For St. Thomas, though, who could distinguish between the natural order and the supernatural order, and who, of course, believed in the God of Revelation, for him, happiness consists in the the not just any uh, any knowledge of God, not just any contemplation of God, such as is possible even on this earth, but uh, but ultimately can only be fulfilled in beatific knowledge, that is to say, in the direct vision of God in heaven. So that is what Saint Thomas has as part of his overall world view, from which comes this sentence, which I'll read the I'll read the money section <laughs> uh, by itself. All human occupations appear to serve those who contemplate the truth. And St. Thomas, by the way, is not saying that other people should work so that he could get to contemplate things. That's not, that's not what he's saying. It's not as if there are sort of the, the worker bees or the drones and then there are the elites, and, and that's how St. Thomas viewed, viewed humanity. No, I mean, even in each one of us, all of the human occupations that we, that we occupy ourselves with us Serves in us ultimately the the, the aim of of um, helping us to contemplate the truth. In other words, when a father provides for his family, and when when, when, when you have a good a well ordered house, when the parents are doing their duties and their according to their state in life, um, th- they are providing so that they can live the good life and I don't mean living the good life as in keeping up with the Joneses and having the latest iPhone or the latest Wii or whatever. I don't know if they even have Wiis anymore. I don't, I've never been into that stuff. But the, the, the idea of just um, living, the, living the, the, the rat race and, and, and collecting all the, the goodies, that's not the good life. The good life is the life of virtue. And one works um, to earn his bread, so that he can live a life of virtue. That's, that's what the Greeks thought, and this is what St. Thomas thought. All, all work, living your, living one's, um, earning one's bread, the, 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 the vocation by which one um, lives his life, either married or single or, or in an ecclesiastical state or whatever, that labor by which you live, that serves a higher need. So this fits in with what St. Augustine says about creation. He says man was created on the sixth day, but he was created for the seventh day, which, which means, and, and, and many of the fathers of the church noted that six in the Hebrew Scriptures is the imperfect number. 666 six, six is the sign of the, of the beast, the mark of the beast. And man was created on the sixth day, which is a sign of imperfection. But the seventh day is a sign of perfection. And man was created on the sixth day, but he was created for the seventh day. And in order to live that, he has to have that supernatural elevation. So the whole concept, the whole system of ethics that St. Thomas had, and, and that, w- that, that really kind of defined the worldview that was common in his age, was that all work, all labor... Um, all um, uh, uh, fidelity to one state in life, all of that served a higher purpose. and that was not only the case for monks and nuns and, 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 and canons and other clerics and so forth. that was the case also for all of the all of the faithful, all of the laity as well who can contemplate truth and this and the Sabbath rest, the, 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 re, the, the Christian Sabbath of course is Sunday, I know we don't have any Seventh-day Adventists in in the in the room here, but the the uh, the, the the Christian Sabbath is kind of a sign of of what we of of why we work. If you want to put it in temporal terms, you work Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday, really, for the purpose of Sunday, mm-hmm. so that you can have that day of rest, which is dedicated not only to resting your weary body but to, 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 to doing spiritual things that you didn't have time for during the week, for more prayer and more contemplation.
0: Interesting. Hey, uh, brother, I was uh, uh, reading the, uh, the Marian option from Carrie Gress, and I finally finished it, and there is a... She, uh, she quoted St. Catherine of Labore. Um, apparently, St. Catherine of Labore was visited by uh, by Our Lady, and uh, in the I think it's Saint Catherine labor and, and and in these visitations, um, they, they were so intimate that she said that she could actually hear the the, the silk rubbing, you know, the tunic and, and the veil, and uh, Our Lady r- told Saint Catherine that that there was a time after the plague that uh, what you just talked about that all men and all families pursued that, that that's what they did. And, uh, that's how, th- that's how they lived their lives. They did those six days doing what they should have done. And on the seventh day they arrested, but the key, but the, the, the key thing is that during those six days they were doing what they uh, would live in or attempting to live a holy life would have them do. And that it was possible to get it back, but it was fading fast.
1: In in the um, in the Old Testament, there's a reference. Um, I think it's from Isaiah the prophet. I could be wrong. It could be Jeremiah. But it talks about the age of the um, Messiah, uh, and it talks about how each man would be. Uh, I'm going to mess up the quote. I know, but he each each man would be under his um, vineyard and under his fig tree. And as I've heard this explained, um, those who owned vineyards, and it was a common thing, of course, in the Holy Land. Uh, Brother Francis grew up in a vineyard, by the way. His family had a vineyard, and he grew up in it. And uh, so the, the many of the men, would they would, of course, be laboring in the vineyards uh, all week. And it was common for vineyards to have also uh, fig trees as well. And... On their on their day of rest, many of them would go out and be sitting under their fig tree, contemplating, saying their prayers, even readings of the scriptures. And when and and, and this explains the passage in John chapter uh, chapter uh, one actually I think it's one chapter one or two I believe it's one when Nathaniel the prophet meets our Lord. Our Lord refers to Nathaniel uh, and and says, "When you were under the fig tree, I saw you." And there's a lot more to the passage. There's a lot that's sort of in the background of the passage. But Nathaniel was was marveling at the fact that our Lord saw him sitting under the fig tree. Turns out that what Nathaniel was reading was was uh, the story of Joseph, uh, um, uh, uh, and um, rather the story of Jacob and Jacob's ladder. And our Lord makes a makes a veiled reference to it, and this is probably why Saint, why Nathaniel was so amazed at what our Lord said, because he was reading that passage. But the idea is that that in the Old Testament, the pious Jews had a custom of doing sort of what you might call devotional reading, what we Catholic might call lectio divina, you know, holy reading, um, literally seated under a fig tree, you know, taking shade under under the fig tree. So this is a, this is an this is a um, kind of a foreshadowing of of what we're supposed to be living also in the New Testament, what Sunday is supposed to mean for us, and ultimately what the life of heaven is. It's but it's not just reading about God; it's not just an abstract knowledge. It's the direct vision of God. That's 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 the difference. So, brother goes on um, speaking about. Um, the supreme activity in which our human nature finds its its sublime fulfillment. This is contemplating the truth. Aristotle would have known that. Aristotle would not have known, though, the full extent of how man can contemplate truth in the beatific vision. Um, Brother makes the point that uh, to contemplate the truth is not simply abstract truth. It's not what we might call book learning. Um, it, it seems that growth in spirituality and growth in sanctity is a matter of acquiring relish for the true joys of the spirit. Everything in us will share that triumph. He says it is a challenge and a victory, an achievement. So, it, you know, he goes on to say how most people don't value this and don't don't associate happiness with contemplation, but. I think anyone, and Brother used to frequently to compare the artistic experience to contemplation, any authentic experience of truth, of goodness, and of beauty, um, even, even uh, if I may be pardoned from saying it, in, in a purely secular way, is some little glimmer, some little taste of contemplation. The, 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 the person, the, the audiophile who can enjoy beautiful music, the um, person who loves the visual arts, the graphic arts, who can go into a museum or, or a church or something and see beautiful sculpture, beautiful um, paintings, and really stand there and be awed by the thing so that the thing, as it were, moves him. huh? It seizes him. And, and his mind is sort of transported out of itself into that thing, that's, that's the experience of contemplation. It's, it might not be explicitly um, theological, it might not be explicitly religious, uh, but that is an experience of contemplation uh, that deserves to be called by, by the name. Um, however, contemplating the truth itself face-to-face in its essence is an incomparable experience, and that's the beatific vision. Short of that, the saints had something like it on earth, and the best way to express this in English is to refer to what a lot of theologians call a a quasi-experimental or quasi-experiential knowledge of God. And this is what the great mystics had. You know, St. Therese of Avila, St. John of the Cross, St. Therese of Lisieux, uh, any of, the, any of the, these great saints, St. Saint Thomas Aquinas himself, uh, he had one of those quasi-experiential knowledge, uh, um, experiences of God. He had the, the quasi-experiential knowledge of God when he had that experience which caused him to take his summa and chuck it into the fire. And thank God there was a Dominican brother there to take it out, because <laughs> uh, he said this is all straw, because it didn't compare to what he had, to what he had come to know in this vision or whatever this experience was that he had. So that that is, but, but even that for Saint Thomas, I mean, because the saints didn't have the beatific vision in this life. Even the Blessed Virgin Mary didn't have the beatific vision in this life. Knowledge in this life is it's, it's the knowledge of faith. And, and Brother Francis uses this, uses this phrase, so I'm going to use it and explain it a little bit. He said, all of our knowledge on, in this veil of tears, you know, on this earth, is through the obscurity of faith. Now, he's talking about knowledge of God. And you might think, as I first thought when I heard that expression many years ago for the very first time, Why do you call it the obscurity of faith? I mean, certainly faith is something luminous. Faith is a light, and it's portrayed as a light in Scripture. Uh, Yet we have theologians, good orthodox theologians, referring to the life of faith as living in the obscurity of faith. Well, it's a purely relative thing. Relative to mere natural knowledge, faith is a light, it's a more powerful light than the light of natural reason, which is also a light. Keep in mind, the light, light is, a, is a great metaphor here because it's a medium of knowledge. Without light, you don't see things, right? So we speak of light in this sense as a medium of knowledge. So uh, mere natural knowledge is a light. The light of reason is a light. The light of faith is a much brighter light as it reveals much more to us. But compared to the life, to the life of heaven, compared to the light of the beatific vision, which theologians call the lumen gloriae, the light of glory, by which we see divine truth face to face. See, we no longer have faith in heaven. <laughs> you don't need it. Faith and hope uh, are like uh, training wheels that sort of fall off when you get into heaven. You don't need them. Faith is replaced by vision, and hope is replaced by. Possession—you possess the object of your hopes. Charity abides; charity remains. This is what Saint Paul says in, in, in one Corinthians chapter thirteen. But the the in order if if in if in this life you have to have a light that's supernatural given to give into your mind to know divine truth, then it seems by an even stronger argument that in heaven you need something some special habit put into your intellect so that you can see God face to face. And that's called the lumen glory, the light of glory. So compared to the light of glory in heaven, the light of faith on this earth is dim. It's a dim bulb. But compared to the light of faith, the light of natural reason is a dim bulb too. So speaking of the life of faith in this earth as a life, as the obscurity of faith, that is is not a contradiction in terms it's a matter of of um, judging it relatively to uh,
0: beatific knowledge so joshua wants to know if this is like a lantern compared to the sun exactly exactly
1: and and it's and, and, and scripture scripture refers to um one of the psalms says uh, in in his in in thy light we will see light and this is compared to, this is used by the theologians. In, in thy light, in the light of God himself, we will see light. So the, the, the Lumen Gloriae gives our intellect the capacity to see light itself. Uh, no, in, in this human, I mean, th- think if, if a man were given, like the people who were at Fatima, could look at the sun, right? Remember, they saw it as a big silver disc dancing in the sky. And they said it didn't hurt our eyes. So something, God did something there, either accommodating the light of the sun to their eyes or accommodating their eyes to the light of the sun. God could do either one, and both of them would have been miraculous. Either one would have been miraculous. But in in, 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 uh, God could make it so that I could look directly at the sun and not have my retinas fried out, okay? Okay. and that would be miraculous because it's not that's not something that's suited to my nature um, so in in the same manner god can infuse and does infuse into the intellect of of those in heaven the ability uh, to look into the sun which is himself to look into the into the source of all light. so yeah that's a great comparison
0: this is the philosophy apprentice live classroom and chat room here on the Crusade Channel, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. Here on the discussion of Homine Lecture number 19. And if you missed the previous uh, 18 lectures, you can find them all on my website at mikechurch.com under the Catholicism and then uh, Philosophia put tab. And there is, if you click on any one of those items there, there is a link on that page that links to uh, that week's audio file and also links to the podcast feed that you can subscribe to if you have a uh, RSS reader uh, that uh, automatically updates uh, your podcast. And as soon as we publish tonight's uh, lecture tomorrow, it'll automatically update the feed. Uh, tonight is episode number, let's see if I get it right, 89, right? Yeah, you, you get you get the prize. Hey. These days, I'll take anything. Uh, Lecture number 89 of the... uh, Lecture number. Episode number 89 of the award-winning, barn-burning reconquest radio show uh, with Brother Andre. Now, this is part two of a two-parter, right? That's right. Uh, uh,
1: For the last couple of weeks, I've had uh, two, two great talks with a gentleman by the name of Eric Ibarra. Uh, who's down in Orlando, Florida, and he's something of a lay expert on all, all of the controverted points that stand between um, Catholics and uh, the Orthodox. So we talk about the history, we don't talk so much about the history of the schism as much as we talk about the um, the, the doctrinal issues that separate, uh, as you might say, Rome and Constantinople from one another. And um, it's very good. Uh, he's a very charitable guy. It's not, you're not going to find anything uh, rancorous in tone or anything like that. We're just looking for the truth and looking for the arguments from the very saints that the Eastern Orthodox revere um, and, from some, from, and from church history, from the ecumenical councils and so forth. And I had a good old time recording them because this, this history is something of great interest to me, and he knows it like the back of his hand.
0: And he's one of what, uh, four people on earth?
1: Well, you know, it's amazing. I mean, he's, he's gotten, he's, he's got very, very little by way of formal academic qualification. I mean, he's degreed, I mean, but, but he's got very little by way of formal academic qualifications in this field, yet he talks like a specialist. I've, I've watched him debate a, uh, a a Russian Orthodox priest, and it looked like he shut, shut him up. I mean, and very charitably, just, just using arguments, quoting his own sources, (laughs) So yeah, he's, he's exceedingly well-read and yeah, he's, he's one of a handful of people, but he, but he knows all the other ones apparently because he gets good material from lots of, uh, lots of different sources, um, who get this stuff to him.
0: So, uh, for, from the, uh, the, the, the Blackboard discussion, uh, brother does launch into a branch of this tree, right?
1: a branch of the... the uh, Okay, wh- what are you referring to by the branch of this tree? No, I mean,
0: he stays on the same... Uh, he, he continues discussion, but he starts to expand upon it.
1: Yeah, okay, so... so, Brother's talking about how all, even in... Even inside of each one of us... And I, and I kind of touched on this. Uh, so, St. Thomas, again, what does he say? He says... Um, all human occupations appear to serve those who contemplate the truth. Now, uh, I'll, I'll give an illustration. Not everybody. Uh, so, so, within within Jewry, you have a um, a group of uh, super orthodox um, believers in who in the Holy Land, who uh, who don't think that they should work. They are they are really the, the, the modern day Pharisees, quite quite literally, I don't mean that as an insult, that, that's exactly what they are. And they are they are they're, they're called sometimes the ultra Orthodox, and they belong to I guess different sects. They have huge families, and they don't work and they're supported by the government, and all of the men spend all their all day studying the scriptures, study, study and by the scriptures it's not meant the Torah but the Talmud. So they spent all day studying the Talmud, and they don't think that they should have to work. And their idea is that everybody else works in order to support them because of what they're doing; it's so important. And there, it's been a, in, within sort of internal Israeli po- uh, politics. It's they've become very controversial people. Now that is not our outlook. Like if you look at monastic communities, yeah, you had lay brothers who who, who formed more of the laborers and the others who were more academic and so forth. But everybody worked, and everybody prayed, and everybody was into contemplation as much as they could. You know, Some of them had to spend more time in choir and church and others more time in the fields. But generally speaking, all were called to the same things in their vocation. So there's not this sort of um, hyper-elitism but, but within each one of us personally, there is also a hierarchy so that the time that I spend at some physical labor or doing something, you know, it, for me, the most harrying thing, the, the thing that I, that I that I hate the most is administrative work. I utterly hate it. And ask anybody around here, they'll tell you how much I hate it. They'll probably also say behind my back, I'm bad at it. But that's another question. Um, administrative work is loathsome to me. I would much rather be reading and studying and things like that. But the administrative work is a necessary thing. If I don't do it, the bills don't get paid, stuff doesn't happen, right? The place, the place is a mess. So all of, the, all of those necessary things that we have to do to put food on the table, to, to create an order around us and so forth, that inside of which we can then contemplate truth. All of those lower things serve the higher things. And Brother Francis illustrated it with a beautiful, beautiful story that I heard him tell many times. And it was the story of the old man uh, in, the, in, the, in the coal mine. I think it was in Pennsylvania, in, in coal country in Pennsylvania. He knew this man who um, spent, you know, he said eight hours, it could have been more than that, a day uh, in the bowels of the earth mining coal. And, you know, a lot of those guys got black lung. You know, they they got very sick from that. It was a horrible, uh, some of them worked under terrible conditions. But the idea is this man spent that much time in the earth uh, every day. And then he saw that man in church on a Sunday when his little, uh, it was his daughter or his granddaughter, was making her first Holy Communion. And here she was dressed like a little angel. And the man told Brother Francis, he says, all those hours that I spend in the earth make this worthwhile. And he was the man was sort of ecstatic watching his little angelic uh, offspring there receiving Our Lord in Holy Communion. Brother used that as a, as a way to as a way to 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 appreciate this axiom that. That that man's livelihood was so that that little girl could enjoy that little moment of, of, of contemplation with her Savior. And for him, it became a moment of contemplation. He was contemplating the truth when he was doing that. Um, so, too, every other value has a va- gets a value so that it can be used for this higher end. But Francis said, you know, people see health as an end in itself. And then he asks the question, well, is health? does health constitute happiness? I mean, are, is everybody who's healthy happy? Mm. And the answer, of course, is no. Not everybody that's healthy is happy. You have some sick people who are far happier. There's some perfectly healthy people. Uh, but the purpose of health is so that we can have something by way of soundness of body so that we will be able to contemplate truth okay if you have a sound body then then your 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 organs of sense knowledge can work you can read you can talk you can listen and you can acquire all those things that you need that will be the tools and sort of the starter dough, as it were to contemplate truth Um, so there is a there is a hierarchy in our uh, in our operations that lends themselves to that. But the thing at the top of the hierarchy, the thing at the the top of the pyramid, the top of the food chain, if you will, is the contemplation of truth. And even in this life, that should be a priority. And if you're not happy, you know, Mike, I don't need to tell you that the news is mostly bad news, right?
0: Yes. Or fake news.
1: Brother Chad Ripperger has this fantastic YouTube video on psychological and uh and and mental effects of being negative and he and he admonishes people not to spend too much time watching the news because it because it's all bad and it's almost always dwelling on the negative and people will just sit there hand wringing and that's all they do is gripe 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 well i mean people don't listen to your show just to hear griping and hand wringing all the time because what they're hearing is the good stuff too i hope <laughs> it depends on what day. No, i kidding. Well, I mean, okay, so some amount of hand wringing and, and griping, of course, is in order. We can sort of commiserate with one another, but the person who's constantly harping on, you, you know, like sometimes you, you make a, you'll be making a great point, and then you'll talk about how underappreciated it is, and you'll imitate this person who's screaming at you, saying, "Come on, Mike, get back to criticizing Obama." That's right. And I think that's what that's what brother's getting to, and that's what I'm getting to is that. That if if all we do is dwell on everything that's bad, well, there's no end to it. No. But that's not the purpose. I mean, the, the saints in heaven aren't up there talking about what bad people, the, the people in hell are. That's not what they're doing. They're glorifying and praising God. They're contemplating truth face to face and glorifying it and loving it, loving him and loving everyone else in heaven uh for the sake of him and they have true joy that comes from that happiness that happiness remembers in the intellect and that joy spills over that delight spills over into the will so that's what the saints in heaven are doing and that's what the saints on earth are supposed to be doing too yes it's a veil of tears but if you don't contemplate truth and have some relish you know what one's one's um time of study and, 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 and prayer and contemplation and reading about religious matters and so forth should not be wholly given over to the latest scandals in the church or the latest scandals in society. And it should be it should be more studying what is true. And then you notice in that light where the shadows are. I can, but if all you're doing is looking in the shadows, you're going to bump your head in the wall or a tree <laughs> or something. Or
0: you're going to stub your toe on the, uh, on the end of the bed, uh, on the poster, uh, on the, on the frame of the bed or mm-hmm. on the corner of the dresser. You're going to miscalculate the corner and you're, and you're going to whack the top. You're going to whack your head. No, uh, uh we agree. And, uh. uh I hear, too, uh, if, if you if, if you were to turn on any, any cable news t- uh, channel, it doesn't matter which one, and somebody's well, Fox News is not like, uh, oh, yes, it is. If you turn any of them on, um, it is a 24 hour a day seven-day-a-week scandal fest is what it is. And, yeah. and, then it's, and then it's commentary on the last scandal. Like uh, today's scandal of why everything is rotten in the world is because the the uh, president waited until Sunday to say anything about the events in Charlotte on, on Saturday that had already occurred, and there was nothing materially that he could have done about it anyways. And yet, because we uh, have this fixation that everything has to be centralized and it has to come you know, from one, one fountain on the east coast, uh, ba- uh, on the banks of the Potomac River, that it all has to pass through that. And so you know, hey, he's a guy in charge of where everything's got to pass through, and he didn't get to it until then. And then it's a uh, well. What do you think about uh, you know the timing of the uh, of the the things that have been said about the president? You see, and then it just keeps feeding itself. It, it, it repeats, and, and like I've heard brothers say a hundred times, error makes more error. You can't get back the truth with error. You have to correct the error to uh, to get back to truth. Uh, And what you're saying is true. There's, ironically, there's very little pursuit and there's very little interest, it seems to me, or it it views to me because I I don't watch any of this with the sound on, thank the Lord. It seems to me that the the goal of nearly all of this is darkness. And, gee, brother, I wonder who the author of The Darkness is. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and if you look at it, you can look at it in this way. Why aren't they interested so much in pursuing the truth as they are in in, in in casting aspersions on people they don't like? Because most of these people don't believe that there is an objective order of truth. I mean, they would ask with Pilate, what is truth? You have your truth and I have my truth. I mean, the, I would say the vast majority of even so-called conservative people in the media think that truth is a relative thing. So there's, they're, not, they're not interested in the un, unvarnished pursuit of the truth. These guys, you know, they might pretend to, but that's just journalistic jargon. That, that's just, you know, that, that's marketing. That's all it is, is marketing. Sure. And, but, and the vast majority of people aren't interested in the unmitigated, uh, unqualified pursuit of truth. If they are, they're not finding it. And our Lord promises that if you seek, you will find So I don't think people are that completely given to the pursuit of truth. And what are they looking for? They're looking for scandal. And why are they looking for it? Because if everybody else is bad, I'm not all that
0: bad. I'm not all that bad.
1: So I must be okay, because there's always somebody out there that I can look down on. (laughs) I mean, I realize that sounds like an extremely uh, pessimistic view of things, but keep in mind, I'm talking about how all of this being hung up in the negative and in, and in, in, and in the pursuit of error, and, and even griping and complaining constantly about everyone else's in error, all of that is a matter of enclosing yourself, wrapping yourself up in a cloak of darkness. And, and, it, and so for them, it's really not about seeking the truth. It's about, I mean, if seeking the truth is they got some good dirt on President Trump or some good dirt on somebody else that they hate... Well, then, I guess to some degree they're interested in the truth. But if it's actually the real objective order of truth uh, th- th- that that's going to maybe shine a light in their own direction, no, they're not interested in truth. Because because if they were really interested in truth, it would make certain demands of them. Truth makes demands, and sometimes they're quite rigorous. Yeah. And, you know, look at some of these guys on Fact News that even call themselves Catholic, and that think that the Catholic Church is teaching on, on birth control is ludicrous. These guys are not interested in the truth, because if they were, they would find it. It's, there's a divine promise behind that. So the, the, this is why I say we really should be much more about pursuing truth and contemplating it. And you, yes, you can do that in this life. Yeah, And there, it's a dress rehearsal for heaven.
0: There's a, um, in the book, Humility of Heart that uh, you've written a review for, brother, and, uh, and I know you know some of it. Father Bergamo uh, has an entire little series of lessons in there, or chapters, if you will, and they're all very brief, and uh, the, the subject is, is that the, uh, the man or the woman that is uh, truly seeking heaven and truly seeking the truth has to seek humility. Because we are fallen creatures, uh, our tendency uh, without grace is to fall into error. And that the humble man or the humble woman or the person that's trying to is pursuing humility, because you never actually. Bec- you're, you're never, act- according to St. Augustine, you're never actually humble. You know, you're, you're one ill thought away from not being humble. Uh, but what Father Bergamo says, brother, I think you'll find uh, this is applicable. Um, he says that what the humble man does, instead of looking for the fault in someone else, he looks at that person and he goes, oh, that person does this correctly. Why don't I do that? In other words, you, you turn the light back on yourself. And say well, I can, you know, I can find something in that person to exalt or to load, l a u d, or to praise. And I need to work on that. So that's what I'm going to do. Instead of uh, obsessing over and being fixated on what it is that their fault is, or what it is that you want to scandalize them for. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, even our Lord could could uh, could kiss Judas
1: and call him friend. <laughs> And, um, you know, he could he could he could uh, point out what was what was true and good in what the Samaritan woman at the well had to say and things like this um, and and tell people, you know, you're not far from the kingdom of heaven. And that's a good that's charity. Mm-hmm. That's that's charity. And, and that's what we're going to have to do to bring people to the truth. We You know, the, the, the kinds of things that have made the headlines are the alt right and the alt left are out there. Bashing each other with bludgeons—that's not how one convinces another of what's true. It just doesn't work. I mean, if it worked, I guess we could do it, but it doesn't work. It's—it's—and—and—and and, and, and of course, uh, it, it only works in inflicting pain on people, and, and that's not good. So the uh, the—I think you know—we need to think more in terms of the the pursuit of truth, the pursuit of goodness, the pursuit of beauty. And this is why Brother Francis was never into just, you know, have you heard the latest, you know, just let's let's, dig out, let's plow ourselves into the latest scandals and talk about them endlessly. Um, brother, brother asks the question, who are the lords of creation? And he goes on to answer that. Well, he asks it another way. He says, who are the real kings and queens of the earth? Uh, who is it that everything else in nature is working for them? He says, they are the people who have achieved the knowledge of God, accompanied by the love that follows this knowledge. They are God's friends. So these are the people who are the lords of creation. And you can think in terms of, you know, I, I spent much of my morning reading about the Fatima children today and preparing my thoughts on our upcoming conference in September and um, late September, And uh, no, excuse me, early October. Mm-hmm. And in Preparing these thoughts, I was reviewing some stuff about the Fatima children, and and you talk about the lords of lords and ladies of creation, the kings yeah. and queens of creation. Those children were shockingly holy, and um, and even in this life, they enjoyed a high degree. Little children enjoyed a high degree of contemplation. Little Francesco could sit there for hours at a time in the church in contemplation, consoling Our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, and he was, and he wasn't even 11 years old when he died. Yeah, they're so the, these are the people who are the lords of creation. Um, and then Brother quotes Romans, uh, all things work, um, let's see, all, all things cooperate together for the good of those that love God. And he points out that, and he used to say this all the time, all things, the world itself, everything becomes a conspiracy for your good. If you love God. And it was very funny that he would say that. I mean, Brother Francis had a lot of Birch Birch friends, friends in the John Birch Society, Mm -hmm. who talked about the conspiracy all the time, a sort of monolithic sense of this one conspiracy. (laughs) And, and, I mean, I I like to talk about conspiracies. Yes, they exist. But Brother Francis talked about how all of creation, even the, the machinations of the bad guys, everything, becomes a conspiracy for your salvation if you love God. Um, And then there's there's this gem here. There's a paragraph in the notes that I've got to read. Man's ultimate happiness consists in the contemplation of truth. It's the speculative, contemplative intellect where its activity is an end in itself. Something in us wants to know the cause of our existence, the being who contributed our being. And we can never be happy in the sense of ultimately happy. We can never be happy until we know that. That's purely speculative. It's not because we're going to do something with it. In other words, we don't know God because we're going to do something else with it. That level of knowledge, of beatific knowledge, you, Mike, you have to prepare a show every day. So you read stuff, you, you, you throw up the, the, your notes for the show, you get your pile of prep. Mm. You go through that stuff for a purpose so that you can talk about it and you can impart truth to other people. The kind of truth that is the ultimate object of contemplation has no utility at all. It's a good in itself, and that's the ultimate. Huh? You, you, don't, you don't look at the beatific vision of God for some of the purpose. You don't say, yeah, I, I spent all day in, in divine contemplation in the beatific vision so that I could fill in the blank. no. Everything else was so that you could do that. That's what Brother Francis talks about with the, the, the hierarchy of truth. And, the, and and that's what St. Thomas is getting to, where everything serves the object of those who contemplate truth.
0: And, and uh, ju- just to put a code on this, uh, ju- one more thing on broadcast media today. Um no one is immune from uh, the Charlottesville syndrome, and I think that's what it's going to be called. Um, the Charlottesville-
1: <laughs> did you coin that?
0: Yeah, I, I guess I did. The Char- Charlottesville syndrome holds uh, that regardless of who you are, and unless you have either been appointed that day or that moment or have self-appointed yourself, as a guardian of what is good, what is uh, true, and what is beautiful, even though it's not because you just made it up, then everyone is subject to your scrutiny. For example, tonight there's a scandal uh, brewing out there in the sports world. It's so ridiculous that (laughs) I don't even know how to describe it. But basically, the sporting channel ESPN had a segment on yesterday where they were having a mock auction of players for a fantasy football draft. And there was a guy up there that was conducting the auction, and he had it in his hand he he would pick the different players, uh, uh, like a you know one of those masks you bring to a game. It's a uh, uh, glued to a paint st- a paint stirring stick, and it's it's, it's, it's someone's face and has their eyes cut out. Okay, yeah. he'd hold the head up of whoever it was he was auctioning it off. Well, <laughs> he held the head up of a black guy, and so what naturally happened next? Using the Charlottesville syndrome. He was making, it was basically recreating a slave auction. Now oh that God. obviously is not the intent. There's no no way it, it, it was the intent especially knowing the source ESPN, but now there are demands for whoever it was that concocted the broadcast to be fired the guy that was uh, the guy that actually did the auction you was an ESPN uh, analyst to be fired, and uh, for all the people that were in the audience that were bidding on the slave for all of them to either be fired or to have to write apologies and to be censured i mean this is this is how ridiculous it is getting. Um, and, and it, 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 just, it goes back to one of the, to that, to that point out of error, you're going to get more error. I mean, we are careening The the society outside of this little crash classroom here and outside of the St. Benedict center is careening towards a war. And yeah. if you don't see that brother, I, if, if people that are listening right now, if you don't see that coming, because there's the, the middle ground, there used to be some kind of little middle that you could, you could retreat to There's, there's so little middle ground now. And the middle ground, of course, was fake and was was was, was usually made up and it didn't consist of a truth, didn't consist of something good or something beautiful. Um, there's no middle ground now. So you get you got pe- people taking sides, and this kind of alludes to what you wrote about today on your uh, uh, at Catholicism about taking sides, and the Charlottesville effect now or syndrome is now go- is now producing is going to continue to produce all of these controversies that aren't controversies their life it happens <laughs> sometimes people say things and they didn't mean it to come out that way ask any married man ask any married woman um uh, uh, this is just what happens but now and now it's descending to the point where almost any action can now, now be uh, painted as a uh, something that is um if it's not downright or outright illegal, it is unacceptable for, again, for the person with the Charlottesville syndrome that has proclaimed themselves the ultimate judge, jury, and executioner. Uh, this is not going to end well. It's not going to end well. No. And
1: I read, what's his name, the Benedict Option. Uh, I never remember the guy's name. Rod Dreher. Rodríguez. I read Rodríguez's column from a couple of days ago that you linked to in your pile of prep, and I thought it was good. I mean, he's talking about people actually talking about a, a second civil war.
0: Well, I, I think it's already it's already started. <laughs> yeah. Well. The, yeah. I, I almost said no.
1: People aren't shooting at each other, but I guess yeah. they're driving over each other. Yeah, driving uh, over each yeah, other. But, but, I mean, it's, it's uh, and, and what's the, wor- what the, the first casualty in all this stuff is what? Truth. It's truth. Truth. Because people don't care about truth. They'd rather just accuse some other guy that, that, he, that they hate of, of, of something egregious, something offensive, because everything is, things aren't a, a matter of truth anymore. It's a matter of, it's a matter of persons. It's a matter of skin color. It's a matter of, quite literally, accidentals. It's yeah. quite literally about accidental. and if you don't have the most—if you don't have a point of agreement on the most important things in such a diverse ethnic uh, place as ours, if you don't have agreement on the most important things, then all of these peripheral things are going to be the things that, that are going to divide to, to divide us. That's right. And yeah, we're going to be divided,
0: brother. We've got about a minute and a half left. Uh, I know time flew. Uh, something you want to you want to you want you want to say to wrap this one up, or do we need to okay. carry on?
1: Well, I think one last point. Brother, brother talks about how uh, the, the the vision is the highest kind of knowledge. When we talk about the beatific vision, we don't want to just think of oh, I'm looking at a movie. No, it's 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 the most it's the highest kind, but it's also the most intimate and the most direct. And brother talks about he said, let's pretend I describe a beautiful princess. You have some speculative knowledge, some abstract knowledge of her, but then when you see her, you know her. Um, that's the difference between ordinary knowledge and vision. So brother, brother wants to really get across the idea that vision is like a very intimate knowledge. Vision unites the person with the things seen. That's one, one reason we have to be careful with our eyes. Um, it's a knowledge which is also at the same time an experience. So Brother didn't use that word, but it is a knowledge which is also an experience. So the saints in heaven don't just see God, they experience him. In a communion of persons, I guess that's the last thing we should say.
0: Okay, and um, we're going to have to leave it there. Although I would uh, just, uh, uh, anyone that's interested, the the gospel from uh, this past Sunday from uh, the uh, the traditional rite of the Mass was the parable of the uh, the, uh, the publican. The publican and the and, and the Pharisee. And it kinda kinda touches on it, uh, brother, with the Pharisee going like, Oh, thank you that I'm not like him. And, of course, our Lord says he who uh, exalts himself will be humbled, and he who has humbled himself will be uh, exalted. Folks, that's all the time we have. Uh, uh, Thanks for joining us tonight. Please stay tuned for a brand-new episode of Reconquest with Brother Andre Marie. That's episode number 89. Coming up next year on the Crusade Channel, King Size Truths from Radio Size Speakers.